All right, Romans chapter 7. Now, Paul's going to deal with two things this week or in chapter 7 in, in this passage here. He's going to deal with this. Is the law evil? Because there's the, you know, this church that, he's, that Paul's writing to in Rome, there's the church that's mixed. You have a, uh, two cultures. You have that Jewish culture. You have the Gentile culture. Uh, Jewish culture, obviously, is looking to the law, looking to the list of rules, looking at all those things. And Gentiles are saying, hey, no, we follow Christ uh, through faith alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so they're looking, okay, so he, he, he's making sure that they are unified, but unified through the truth of the gospel. So he's confronting things. He's assuring in some places, some places he's confronting. But Romans 7 as he looks at the law, and he says, I want you to know that the law is not evil because it says when we die, okay, right here, when we die, we're set free from the law. We're also set free from sin, okay? We're talking about this death that we have when we died with Christ on the cross, being spiritually dead and then made spiritually alive, okay? The death of with Christ and then being resurrected to new life. But then somewhere in the middle of this, it starts to change, and Paul starts to reflect on who he is. And all of a sudden, he gets to that place that he, he uses a word. He says, what a wretch. In modern translation, be what a failure. He says, I'm a failure. And I don't know if you've ever been there or if you're there today. But you're in good company because Paul was there. Now, now, towards the end... And in chapter 8, we're really going to get to see this fleshed out more where he says, but thanks be to God. Like, yeah, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a failure, but God's love is greater than my failure. And so let's look at this. In Romans 7, okay, now you're going to notice in verse 1, it says, brothers and sisters, you'll see this again. So he's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. Sometimes we read seven, Romans 7, and we think that it's dealing with non-believers. We're, we think that he's writing this to people who do not follow Christ, but he's writing to people who follow Christ and is reminding us. He's reminding us that we as believers need the cross and need Jesus just as much as those people that are lost. That we need the power of the cross in our life every day. So brothers and sisters, I am speaking to you who know the law. Don't you know that the law has authority over someone only as long as they are alive? For example, uh, by law, a married woman remains married as long as her husband lives. But suppose her husband dies. Then the law that joins her to him no longer applies. But suppose that married woman sleeps with another man while her husband is still alive then she is called a woman who commits adultery. But suppose her husband dies. Then she is free from, the, free from that law. She is not guilty of adultery if she marries another man. Again, verse 4, my brothers and sisters, again, believers, my brothers and sisters, when Christ died, you also died as far as the law is concerned. Then it became possible for you to belong to him. He was raised from the dead. Now our lives can be useful to God. The power of sin used to control us. The law stirred up sinful desires in us. So the things we did resulted in death. 
in verse 6, but now we have died to what used to control us. We've been set free from the law. Now we serve in the new way of the Holy Spirit. We no longer serve in the old way of the written law. Okay, so he's starting off just reminding us of what we've already talked about. So we won't spend a lot of time here, okay? He's saying, okay, just so that you know, as I'm setting this up, he says, remember when our old selves died, when they died, when, when we were crucified with Christ at the cross, okay? We are set free from the law. Now, this is easy to understand. Let's say today you're in a hurry to eat. So you leave the parking lot, you leave sideways. You don't even care what the, if it's red light, green light, you don't care. You go sideways out that, uh, across the, uh, the uh, red light there too, and you hit about 90 going down 16th Avenue. I mean, you just keep it up with traffic. Yeah, going with the flow of traffic, it's 90 miles an hour, and you get pulled over. They write you a ticket. Man, they, they, they have mercy on you. They don't take you straight to jail. They just write you a ticket, a humongous ticket. And then tonight, you die in your sleep. Nobody's going to show up to your funeral saying, you owe me for this ticket. Like, we need you to pay this. Because at death, you're set free from the law. At death, the law doesn't hold reign over you or doesn't rule over you anymore. And so the scripture saying that when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of the law. And it also tells us that when our old selves dies, we were set free from sin. You see this in here? So we were set free from the power of sin. We talked about this uh, last week and the week before, that we now have the power to fight and resist sin. Like we don't have to sin. That, that we can fight that sin. Okay, and so, so now, so when we died, or when we died with Christ, and we're resurrected with him spiritually, made alive, okay? Made alive spiritually. We were freed from the power of sin. We were freed from the power of the law. And then it tells us that the Holy Spirit now empowers us to serve God. That 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 not only are we set free from these things, but now we are empowered to serve. So in verse 7, because the, the Jewish culture would say, well, what you're saying is if you have to be set free from the law, obviously the, the law is sinful. That would be the argument. And Paul comes back and says, what should we say then? That the law is sinful? He's asking the question for him. Not at all. Yet, uh, yet I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have known what sin was unless the law had told me. The law says, do not want what belongs to other people. If the law hadn't said that, I would not know, I would not have known what it was like to want what, other, uh, what belongs to others. Verse 8, but the commandment gave sin an opportunity. Sin caused me to want all kinds of things that belong to others. A person can't sin by breaking the law if the law doesn't exist. We'll talk about that in a second. And nine, before I knew about the law, I was alive. But then the commandment came. Sin came to life and I died. This is what Paul's saying here. A lot like what we live in. That if you followed, he said, if I thought if we followed a bunch of rules, 
If I followed the law, then I would be okay. And then he goes further and says down here, he says, but, but hold on. He says, um, you know, a person can't sin by breaking a law if that law doesn't exist. Before I knew about the law, I was alive. He made that statement. In his understanding, he was alive. Like he thought he was a good person. He thought that he was doing the right things. It was the law that had to teach him that he was doing wrong. You, you know, you, sometimes, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you're just driving and people are talking to you. And, you know, sometimes maybe you're on a family vacation and you're distracted, right? You're distracted. Nobody's that way. And you're driving and you're breaking the speed limit and you get pulled over. And about the time you get pulled over, the police officer walks up and says, did you know that you were doing 65 and a 55? And you're like, I didn't even see the sign. Like you were, like, ignorance is bliss, you know. I didn't know I was breaking the law. I had no idea. And what we see here is that the law taught us what sin is. Paul's making the point, before I knew the law, I thought I was okay. I thought I was fine. But the law came in and showed me that I was breaking the law. And then he, he says a curious thing. He said the sin that was working in us, he said, was so powerful that when I got the law and when I started to understand the law, the sin nature that I have made, made me want to rebel against the law. He says sin causes us want to break the law. He said, I didn't know I was supposed to want other people's things until the rule or the law came out and says, you do not covet what your neighbor has. Like, Hold on, wait a minute. Now I want what they have. Like, like you didn't know. It's, it's like this. If I painted something and I put do not touch, you know how many fingerprints would be on that? Whatever it is I painted. You know, right? Yes, yeah, a lot. Do not, fingerprints everywhere because people touching it. If I painted it green, there'd be green fingers everywhere. There's something about us. There's something in us. It's this, this sin nature that when there is a rule, we want to break that rule. In fact, we say really terrible things. Uh, rules are made to be broken. We say that. And, and, and so here, Paul's agreeing, saying, when the law came, and when I experienced the law, the rebellion in my life made me want to rebel against it more. And so, so the law taught me what sin is, and it revealed how wicked I really am. Because it makes me want to rebel against God even more. Now, let's look at it this way. Because sometimes people are like, well, that sounds like the law is terrible. The law makes me want to break. You know, the law makes me want to rebel against God. Uh, really, what we need to look at here is the law as a mirror. Some of y'all looked in the mirror this morning. I said some of you. <laughs> But some of us looked in the mirror this morning. Most of us look in the mirror every day, don't we? Every morning. Sometimes several times a day. Why do we look in the mirror? So that we can know what's wrong. So that we can know if we have, you know, if through the night we have a zit that grew on our face somewhere. If our hair is out of whack. You know, when, when we look in the mirror, it reveals who we are. 
And what we see here is the Scripture saying that the law is good because it reveals who we are. It gives us a true, reliable understanding of who we are. It just reflects back to us our wrong. So he goes further. I found that the commandment uh, that was supposed to bring life actually brought death. Then the commandment gave sin the opportunity. Sin tricked me. It used the command to put me to death. So the law is holy. The commandment, is, uh, the commandment also is holy and right and good. Did what is good cause me to die? Not at all. Sin had to be recognized for what it really is. So, so it used what is good to bring about my death. Because of the commandment, sin became totally sinful. He said the commandment, the mirror, really made me understand who I really am. It caused me to see that this little thing that I thought was wrong was a much bigger deal. Uh, you know, have you ever scry- like scratched your face and you look at your finger like there's blood on your hand? Something like that. The first thing you want to do is get to a mirror because you want to see how bad it is. Sometimes it's nothing, but sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes it's something that, that scratched your face or, you know, you were, maybe you're working outside and a tree branch, you know, really gashed your face or maybe uh, somebody hit you. But whatever happened, it, the law, like the mirror revealed what happened in the same way that the law reveals to us how sinful it really is. Sometimes we want to look at sin and we call sin things like mistakes. Well, so that was a mistake. And it was a mistake, but God wants us to call it a sin. He wants us to understand the seriousness of it. This is a lot of the reason that we, that we just don't want to study the Old Testament or even the Scriptures at all. We don't want to study the law because it reveals really the condition of who we are. Now, in this, Paul's starting to go, okay. He's starting to change. He's starting to talk about himself a little bit. And he, now, here's what, here's what God does, okay? God used people to write the Scripture. God used people to write the Bible the same way that we use a pen to write things down. God used people in their personalities to write exactly what needed to be written. And so when God used people, some of their characteristics would shine through even though God's Word shone through totally. For example, if I use a blue pen, everything I write is blue, but what I'm saying will be exactly what I said. If I use a red pen, the same thing's true. The, the character of the pen, that red ink, will be seen, but the truth or whatever I'm trying to say will come out exactly the way I want it to say or, or exactly what I want it to say. If I use a pencil, the pencil has graphite, you know, it's that way. And so God used people, and in this, God's going to use Paul, and he's going to start to say, okay, if the law is a mirror, we're actually going to start to see Paul look into the mirror. The mirror of the law. Or the mirror of God high and lifted up. And when he does that, it destroys him. And when he does that, it makes him feel. Some of y'all may be there. It makes him feel 
like a total failure. Now, Paul says this. He says, look, what I tried to do, and he's, starting, he's saying what I tried to do, he's, he's going to go from what he tried to do to what he does now. What I tried to do is obey the law. And this is what he said. Trying to obey the law does not bring life. He said, I was, I was trying to live according to this law, but the problem is I couldn't. I couldn't live according to the law. And he goes further and he says, not only that, but the law revealed that we could not keep the law. Okay, so when I go in, go in, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I go into the bathroom and I look at myself first thing in the bathroom, the thought that comes to my mind is not, man, I look good in the morning. Nobody does that. Like when we watch movies and like, you know, married couples, there they are in the bed, they're waking up and they start kissing the first thing in the morning. We all know that's a lie, don't you, if you're married. You don't kiss anybody in the morning. Go brush your teeth. You know, because something happens to us in the night. Like, like we, our looks, they get destroyed. Our breath turns to death. Our hair gets all wopsided. And we sleep on one side and wrinkles. Some of y'all young people don't know about that yet, but you sleep in wrinkles. You, so when you go into the mirror, there you are, and, and it just reveals. And so no matter how much I want to try to make sure that I'm okay, like I brush my teeth the night before I go to bed, I fix my hair before I go to sleep, through the night my life or my looks, my body gets destroyed, Right? And when I look in the mirror, there it is. And here's what Paul's saying, that no matter what we do, when we see and look into the law, it will reveal that we cannot keep it and that we are broken. Broken. And as soon as he says this, it starts this downward downward spiral. Now listen to what he says in 14. We know that the law is holy, but I am not. Here's where it changes. But I am not. So he's saying the law is holy, it's perfect, it's set apart, it's complete in itself. And Paul just said, I am not. I'm not any of those things. I've been sold to be a slave of sin. Now hold on. Before we go any further, he'd just been talking about how he was a slave to God, and now all of a sudden, because he looked into the mirror of the law, he's saying, I'm a slave to sin. Why is this? Listen to what he says. In 15, I don't understand what I do. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do what I hate to do. I I do what I don't want to do, so I agree that the law is good. As it is, I'm no longer the one who does these things, It is sin living in me that does them. Hold on, he's talking to brothers and sisters, and this is Paul. In 18, I know there's nothing good in my desires controlled by sin. I want to do what is good, but I can't. I don't do the good things I want to do. I keep on doing the evil things I don't want to do. I do do what I don't want to do, but uh, but I am not really the one who is doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. Man, Paul just dove off the deep end, didn't he? Especially emotionally. He just took a dive, man. He was just like, 
He, he started talking about how the law is a mirror, and he looks into the mirror of the law of God, and he sees who he is, and all of a sudden it reveals to him, and it goes, hold on. He says, I, I, I'm, not who, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not good. You remember he said, before I knew this, I thought I was okay. I thought I was fine. But then all of a sudden the law comes along, and I realize that I'm not. And he goes, now the mirror here is revealing to me and is showing me that, man, sins causes me, causes me to do what I don't want to do. Anybody been there lately? Like you swore this is the last time. I will never do this again. God, I promise, this is the end. It will never happen. We're done. It's over. And then the next day, you do the same thing, but you don't want to do it. Or it goes further, says the sin causes us not to do what we want to do. And so here it is, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read my Bible every day today. I mean, every day this week, I'm going to do it. And day two, you overslept, you slept in, you had time to read it, but you needed to make it through one more episode that you're binging at the time, whatever it is, and you lay down at night and you go, God, I missed it. I didn't do it. It just... It didn't happen. I was going to share the gospel this week, but then it's Sunday, and I hadn't shared the gospel. I was going to invite my neighbor this week, and it just hasn't happened. And he says there's this sin nature at work in me. He said he's been made, he may, he's been made alive in Christ, that he has the Holy Spirit in him, he has the power of God in him, but now he's saying there's also another Law, the flesh and the sin nature that's fighting and causing him to do these things. As he looks into the mirror of God and the mirror of the Scripture is being revealed to him that he doesn't measure up. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When you compare yourself to the glory of God, we all fall short, and it can be very easy to fall in this place where Paul is. In 21, he goes, he goes, here's the law I find working in me. When I went to do good, evil's right there with me. But in 22, deep inside me, I find joy in God's law. He said, I find joy in God's law. In 23, but I see another law working in me. It, it fights against the law in my mind, the, the law of God. It makes me a prisoner of the law of sin. That law controls me. Now listen to his desperation. Listen to what he says. What a terrible failure I am. Anybody felt that lately? Who will save me from the, this sin that brings death to my body? Paul, a believer, the one who Jesus appeared to on the road to Damascus, called him personally, told him, you're going to be a witness for me, empowers him to start churches all over the known world at the time. Amen. Says, what a ter terrible failure I am. 
Why did he, why did he say that? Other translation says this, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man. Man, this is, this is deep. This is gut-wrenching. And this is why, because sin in our lives, the sin that we continue to battle with, and this is why we need the cross, believers. This is why we have to have Jesus because we still struggle with it. The same way that Paul struggled with it, we still struggle with it. The, the, the power of God, like the, the, the mercy and the grace of God is not just needed the day that we get saved. It's needed from the day of our salvation until the day that we die. Yes. The, the forgiveness of God is not just needed the day that we come to Christ. It's needed every day of our life. Amen. And, and so this... this place that Paul finds him is because this flesh that we've talked about is that is corrupted and the desires are corrupted and calls us to be at a place and cry out, what a terrible failure I am. Some of us today may be there. What a, what a terrible failure of a child I am. What a terrible failure of a husband. What a terrible failure of a father I am. What a terrible failure of a wife I am. And that's what we feel inside. What a wretch. And that's all coming from this. Watch. Sin brings desperation. Can you hear it in Paul's voice? What a terrible failure I am. That's desperation. That's a call. Sometimes... We, we hear it in other places where sin is ruling in our life. And you'll hear people say things like, where are you, God? Well, they're saying, my life is a disaster and I need you. Desperation. Sin also brings frustration. Man, he's frustrated. I want to do right, but I do wrong. I want to do the right things, but I don't do them. Man, I don't want to do the wrong things, but I end up doing those things. Man, he's frustrated. And in this Christian walk, sometimes we can get so frustrated. And then it says, sin brings disgrace. Man, can you hear it in his voice? What a terrible failure. What a wretched man I am. Paul's in this place, this deep, Almost depression. And this is what happens when we look into the fullness of God. Because when we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, we don't measure up. And so you see this in the Old Testament. You see the prophet as God reveals himself high and lifted up. His words aren't, oh, I'm such a good guy. Oh, I want to be like his words are. Depart from me because I'm a man of unclean lips that lives in a country of a people of unclean lips. Like, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I'm not even worthy to be here. And, and I don't know if some of us feel that way. I'm not worthy as we see the fullness of God. And, and Paul finishes by saying this, because he, he answers his own question. This is... His question, who can save me from 
this sin that brings death into my life. And in 25, this is what he says. I give thanks to God who saves me. Who can save me? Jesus can. He says, he saves me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. That means I'm made alive. This, this law, I want. He says, but sin controls my desires. You remember our flesh has those twisted desires. So I'm slave to the law of sin. He's saying, I'm battling with both. But he says, I give thanks to God who saves me. He saves me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin brings desperation, frustration, and disgrace. But Jesus brings hope and value and salvation. I want you to think about it this way. Sin, you remember when you were younger? And, and, and here you are and you wake up one morning ready to go to school. You got a crush liking somebody but you wake up and you go look in the mirror and you have a huge massive zit we would call it a rising back in the day and 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 there it is and, and no matter what you do it just makes things worse like you're desperate like you're squeezing it so hard blood's coming out it's just not popping you're like please just just and like all day long and it's just not you're faking sick so you don't go to school but it's there for like two or three days, so you have to go. You put Band-Aids over it. Boys are putting makeup on because you're desperate. I mean, you're just, there it is. You're frustrated. Like, why won't it just, why won't it just pop and heal? Like, it takes days. You finally get it to pop. It breaks the mirror. There's so much pressure. And the disgrace... You have to walk and see the people around you, and you know they're looking because it's just throbbing right out there, right? People are asking, what happened to you? You're making up a story. You know, a bee stung me. My brother shot me with a pellet gun. I don't know. You're making up all kinds of stories. Anything other than it's arising. And you looked in the mirror, and you're angry, and you're frustrated, and you're mad, and it's really easy for us sometimes to look into the fullness of God and get frustrated with Him. It's easy to look into the fullness of God and the mirror that is the law of God and get frustrated with God. Here's what I would say. That's like breaking your arm and going to the, get an x-ray and that x-ray is broken and you're angry at the x-ray machine because it revealed the truth of who you are. So it's really easy to get frustrated with that. But God says, I don't want you to, to view. I don't want you to focus and always just look to this, this mirror that shows us how terrible we are. He goes, I want you to understand that Jesus brings hope. Man, if we look at ourselves in the mirror and compare ourselves to God, there's no hope for us until you look at Jesus. And then when you look at Jesus, you have all the hope. Because you can look at the... And, and this is the reason we have 
Two, man, this is good. This is why we have two judgments at the end of time. And you may not know that. There's one judgment. It's the great white throne judgment. It's for anybody who's never accepted Jesus as their boss and savior. And when you show up to that judgment, you show up to see if you measured up to the law. And at that moment, it will bring desperation, frustration, and ultimate disgrace. But then we have a second judgment. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. And it's where we show up to the judgment seat of Christ and we're really not judged for what we've done. We're judged for what He's done. We have hope in Him because He's a merciful and gracious God. So it brings hope. And then Jesus brings value. Look at this. I want you to, if, if today you think, man, I'm a failure. I'm an just total ultimate failure. Jesus died for you. And if Jesus died for you and if he bought you with the blood, his blood, you have value. People, watch this. Do you just go and like, you see somebody on the side of the road and they just picked up a bunch of trash and they're like for sale and you're like, how much for that paper cup? You don't do that, do you? You only pay for things you value. Jesus values us. He values us. Oh, I got a, uh, uh, Brandon did a great illustration. Somebody got a like $20 or $100 bill. I may or may not give it back. You got one in. Oh, he got a 20. We know who's rich in here. We're going to put that in an offering plate. Come on, bring it to me, Ed. Man, I love this one. Look, look, watch this. It's worth how much, guys? How much? How much is it worth now? All right, wait, wait. How much is it worth now? No matter what happens in our life, and no matter how much we have to deal with sin in our life and how much it tries to destroy us, the value that we have in our life comes from Christ. The same way the value from this dollar comes from the United States, right? The United States government, an authority much bigger than us, and no matter what I do to that new $20 bill, it's worth $20 because the authority says it is. You're worth something because the authority said you are. Amen. And then Jesus brings salvation. We thank God that he brings us salvation. Who can save us? Who can save me? He says, I give thanks to God who saves me, not just now, but continually and over and over and over and over again. And so here's what we do, okay? There's two ways to look today into mm, to look in this mirror. Here, Miss A, before I forget, still worth twenty. It's all wrinkled up. Yeah, it'll still spin. So. Here's two ways we look at us today as we walk out this door. We can see ourselves as a failure. No value. 
or you can see yourself a little dif- different. God wants us to know that we're broken. Why does he want us to know we're broken? The same reason that if somebody really loves you, and there's something wrong with your face or your hair or whatever, they'll say, hey, go look in the mirror. Now, if they don't care about you, they just, you know, look at you and laugh at you later. But a real friend will go, hey, you got a little song. Go look in the mirror. And you'll go look in the mirror and it'll show you what's wrong so you can fix it. Now, here's the thing. You can't fix yourself, though, but God wants you to know that you're broken for this reason. Here's the best I can show you or tell you. When I was growing up, whatnots were a huge, big deal. Everybody had whatnots everywhere, especially those little porcelain whatnots. And my mom was in love with these little bird whatnots, these little porcelain birds. You could get them at Cucks. You can get them other places too, but Cucks is where the, the best ones were. My, my dad saved up some money, and I, can't, I don't know how much it was he, he spent on it or any of those things, but I, I know that it was worth a lot because as it came into the house, we were told not to touch it. We were told not to breathe on it and barely to look at it. It was worth something. So one day, me and my brother were in the living room, we were playing, he said something I can't remember, and I got a pillow off the couch and turned it into a ninja star. And it sailed through the living room. And all of a sudden, it hit the shelf that that bird was on because it was on one of those little stands, just a, like a little L stand, and it fell. And it broke. But my dad, he heard it, he come running. And he, he heard it hit the ground, and he started picking all the pieces up. Now, he was upset with us, but that's a different story. He picks all the pieces up, even the smallest ones, the little shards, the smallest parts. He sweeps it all together. Now, most people, most people just throw it in the garbage. It's broken. It's needs to be discarded. If you took it to the antique roadshow, it used to be worth something, but now that it's broken, it's not worth anything. But my dad swept it all up and put it on the table, and he started putting it together a piece at a time using glue, finding all the smallest pieces so you couldn't tell where it was broken because it had value. It was broken, but it still had value because it represented something. It represented something bigger. It represented the, the time and the effort and the love that he poured into. So he's putting it together. And at the end of the day, one, we broke it into so many pieces, it wasn't back together. It was still a work in progress and it, the next day and the next day. And it took several days for him to put this all, way, all the way back together. And when he did, it was back, put back together and it was put back on the shelf. And what I would tell you is, as we look in the mirror that is the law of God and we look at a God that is high and lifted up and it shows that we're broken into pieces, look at it this way. He also, because we're broken into pieces, he starts putting us back together one piece at a time. And, and that, look, day one, 
It may not look like a whole bunch. And maybe year one following Christ, you're like, I don't, I still, I don't do all the things. I want to do this and I do this and I, and it's a struggle and you sound, you feel like Paul and you're like, what a failure. But God's still putting you back together one piece at a time. And cliches, you know, sometimes we don't like cliches, but a lot of times we say them because they're true. God doesn't, in this flesh, in this body, doesn't make us sinless, which means like we never sin. But as he puts us back together, he makes us sin less. So, so three and four and five years down the road, we're, not, we're struggling with different sins than we are right now. Like right now, we're struggling with these things, and we look in the mirror, and we think, oh my goodness, this, like this rise and this zit will never heal. And then all of a sudden, it heals, and then something else you notice, and something else. And God's dealing with all these things in your life, but He's got to show them to you first so He can put it. Why? Because He loves you and He values you. So now, here's what I want you to see. When you look up at a holy God, yes, there are times we need to look up and we need to see ourselves. As Paul's, I, man, I'm, I'm failing in this area. And God's, I, I know, but I'm putting you back together. I know you are. And I heard this this week as I was, man, I read and I listen. And there was a great illustration in first service. Didn't get, but you get it, okay? He said, it's like a swimmer. It's somebody that's drowning. And here they are drowning. Uh, you know, the lifeguard, they can't get close to you while you're still struggling, trying to figure it out on your own. The lifeguard's got to wait till you quit. And when you quit fighting and when you quit struggling, now he can come and get you. And so for us, we've got to stop thinking that we can do it, that we're powerful enough, that we just rest in the arms of God. So here's what we do, okay? We look up and we see God. And we see that we are wretched. But then at the same time, we see that we are loved and we're valued and we, watch this, we just... Soak in the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. So when you leave here, there's two things you can do. You can look at God and you can say, I'm a wretch. And you could, and you could stay there and it's a depressing place. But Paul doesn't stay there next week. He goes, some, he goes a total different. He goes, I'm more than a conqueror. He goes, there's no condemnation for the person who follows Christ. He goes there. So when we look at God, you can look at God and say, I'm a wretch and focus on you. Or you can look at God, watch this, and say, God loves bigger than I ever knew. God's grace is bigger than I ever understood. God's mercy is bigger and greater than I ever knew. And we see God big. We see Him huge. And it changes us. Like, like we're not trying to do better because, you know, like, I'm just going to be self-improvement, do better. We do better because 
my father loves me. So much so that he valued me so much that he bought me with the blood of Jesus Christ. His love and mercy is so big that he stretched his son's arms out on the cross so that now, listen, so that now I don't have to be called wretched even though when I see myself in the mirror, God doesn't see me as wretched. He sees me as righteous. That means in right standing with Him. Because, last word, and let it stick in your mind. Because God, Jesus, became what I am. The one who knew no sin became sin. So that I could be like Him. I become what He is. Right with God. Lord, Father, I come to you right now and I just pray that we could grasp this. Lord, that, yeah, we would see ourselves in the mirror of the law. But at the same time, we would see you high and lifted up as a God who loves us. And that we would be so overwhelmed by your love and your mercy and your grace. That those There's no way that we could stay in a place of of a spiritual depression. That we would be overwhelmed with joy because of who you are and what you've done for us. God, reveal to us who you are. 